is up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. I'm your co-host, Matt Wyrick, along with Blake Pace. And man, are we upon NBA free agency, the draft, it's all coming up. We have an entirely NBA basketball dedicated podcast for you all today. We're going to be jumping around from team to team. But first, Blake, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm about to go out and get a, uh, after this, I'm going to hit up the bars and, and get a nice t-shirt tonight. Uh, t-shirts are apparently not a huge tradition everywhere else, but it's this fun little thing that bars advertise where if you go through and you drink 10 different draft beers, they'll give you a cool, fun t-shirt. So I'm going to go enjoy that. I got a friend's birthday that is tomorrow. So we're celebrating tonight. Um, of course, this is being recorded uh, June 18th, uh, the, the night of June 18th. So I'm excited to go do that and yeah, just enjoying summer, working a little. How about you, Matt? How you doing? Well, my night tonight is going to be equally as lit. Uh, I got off a little early from work so I could squeeze in this podcast before I go out to dinner at Chili's. Uh, oh, I'm going sweet. with a couple of my friends. Uh, one of my favorite establishments in the great country known as the United States. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to get some some cheap drinks and you you know, see where the night takes me. That, that sounds pretty riveting to me. Uh, right, yeah, how, side, how yeah, are you enjoying are... <laughs> the new city? How are you doing it? It's it's cool. I actually haven't moved into Charlottesville yet. I'm still making an hour commute every day to and from uh, Charlottesville mm-hmm. from Harrisonburg. Um, but, you know, I've, I got to go to my first town hall meeting last night. Things got pretty heated. I have my first oh, wow. two stories are going in print tomorrow. Um, so I'm a little, a little over a week in now, you know, had a couple of bylines and things are going well. I'm, I'm excited. It's been a lot of fun getting to know the city. Uh, I'm sure as I move in and you know start to really be there for a while, I'll get to know it even better. So yeah, uh, yeah awesome. it's been a lot of fun. Cool, good stuff. All right, well let, let's talk some basketball. Yes, uh, and I think the <laughs> obvious thing, I think the obvious thing we have to talk about right now is the Anthony Davis trade to the Lakers. I mean, one of the biggest hauls we have ever seen for a superstar. Never mind a superstar with just one year of control, but that's what's happened. Uh, in case you have lived under a rock, uh, <laughs> the Pelicans are receiving Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and three first-round picks, including the number four pick of the 2019 NBA draft, in exchange for Anthony Davis to go to L.A., where he will team up in LeBron and be what already is the top one-two tandem uh, in the NBA. Now, you may, might have been able to argue that if Kevin Durant had stayed in Golden State, that Steph Curry and KD would have been the top duo in basketball. But now with Durant out for the season and Davis's future beyond 2020 uh, up in question, going into next year, I think the obvious du- best duo in basketball has got to be Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you talk about a guy who I believe Anthony Davis might be 27 by the time next season starts, or he's 26 currently. Um, you know, this it, beyond just the discussion of the best duo in the NBA, we have to have the conversation that this might be the best player that LeBron has had alongside him throughout his career. Of course, you would think that uh, Dwayne Wade in those early years of Miami Heat was a great player to be alongside LeBron. You also talk about Kyrie Irving, who had an all-NBA season in 2015 with LeBron James. But you're talking about a guy who's considered probably, you know, I, I hope unanimously the best big man center in the league. I mean, he, he certainly is. I know people uh, will maybe like uh, Joel Embiid, uh, but I, I just believe that Anthony Davis is even on a different level compared to him. So you're talking about, you know, this is the first time LeBron has had a real dominant kind of center. I know he came into the league as a power forward and he can play both positions and he's a good shooter as well, but he really is a center, truly, and he's probably the best big man, best 
teammate that LeBron James has ever had. And I, I feel like, you know, this is this is going to be a big throwback, Matt, And I, but I'm going back to Courtside Take, uh, which is a podcast <laughs> that me and Kevin Haswell did through the Pure Sports Network. And I believe it was on that show where we discussed, the, you know, the best fits around LeBron James. And to me, it was always the, the fact that you needed a center around him and then shooters. If you had a top player that could be a rim protector, work the pick and roll with LeBron, then you have three shooters around him. And I think that that's just the perfect way to build a team for LeBron James because he's so good at finding players. Anthony Davis off the pick and roll, pick and pop is great. You've got a guy like Kyle Kuzma who's a good shooter. If you can put other shooters around them, this could probably end up being one of the better teams that we've seen LeBron James on throughout his career. Yeah, so that's the thing. You know, After they make this trade, they leave themselves very limited in cap space. Obviously, mm. the best player outside of the two of them now is Kyle Kuzma. Uh, who was talked about in trade negotiations, but ultimately ended up staying in L.A. While Kuzma's a fine player, you know he he's no Chris Bosh uh, in this big three where you're you're looking at him as you know a potential superstar. Mm-hmm. There really are, I would say, missing that piece. But that being said, I don't think that the Lakers should go out uh, and, and go after a guy like Kemba Walker to complete that trio. Rather, you know, like you said, this is the best player that LeBron's ever played with. Maybe you just go with the top two, and then even out your roster right. uh, with several, you know, role players who can, you know, stretch the floor and that kind of thing. Uh, and like I said, only around twenty five, twenty four million in cap space going into next year. Mm-hmm. They're not really going to be able to sign any max players. There's not going to be Kawhi <laughs> coming over or anything like that. So, you know, it, the thing is, I, I think the Lakers have been decimated for this trade. I, I think the trade is a win for L.A. because you get Anthony Davis. That that in itself makes the trade a win. Whatever you have to give up, fine. You know, it's it's a hefty price for sure. But they get Anthony Davis out of this trade, so it's really hard to knock the Lakers for making the move. But all things considered, they gave up a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, and they left themselves with putting a lot of pressure on that front office now to surround LeBron and A.D. with a, a, a sound supporting cast. And, you know, after all what we've seen go on with, with Palinka and, and obviously Johnson and everything, everybody that was mixed up in that front office over the past year and all the drama uh, that the Lakers had, you know, I don't know if I trust that front office to get the job done. So all things, how things stand right now, I would say this is a success for the Lakers, but they really need to surround the, two, the tandem with a solid supporting cast. And I just don't know if I believe in the front office to do that. Well, that's the thing is that I hope that they do go in the decision to not bring in a third max player and really look at their bench because I know we're going to talk about both these teams later individually, but you take a look at this finals matchup and you take a look at both teams and you look at the Raptors and they had two all-star players. They had Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard and then probably one of the deeper uh, benches and starting rotations in, in the league. And then you look at the Warriors. They dealt with injuries. They were so depleted. Their bench was so weak. They had a guy playing with a fractured collarbone, essentially, and he wasn't even that great of a, a player to their team. So I think, you know, for the Lakers' approach, you've got the two stars in here now. You've got Kyle Kuzma that I think has all-star potential. I think it was very telling that the, the Lakers would not give up Kuzma, and they instead chose to give up, you know, a few extra picks later on instead of attaching him to the deal. Kyle Kuzma's a guy that I think has all-star potential later on, but I think is more now just going to be one of those spot-up shooters. So to me, you know, I'd rather see instead of them going and getting a guy like Kemba because that now seems to be their focus, or maybe, you know, you want a guy like Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris. I wouldn't go that route. I would take a look at a guy like Bojan Bogdanovic from the Pacers. Great uh, spot-up shooter, 3-and-D kind of guy. Maybe a guy like Danny Green, uh, J.J. Redick. 
maybe the Morris twins if you want some guys up front. Uh, maybe a Patrick Beverly if you're looking for a really good defensive guard. Um, I'm trying to think of any other guys. Seth Curry, great shooter, set to be a free agent. All of those guys, I'd rather pay a couple million here and there than going and getting Kemba and then falling into a place where, yes, you have three very talented players, but your bench is probably one of the worst in the league, and that's not going to help you when especially you're in an era where I don't think you want to be playing your starters you know, 75 to 80 games a year. I think, you know, you take a look at Kawhi Leonard and how, you know, he dealt with injuries but was still healthy by the end of the season and not fatigued because he took time off during the regular season. That's something you're going to need to consider for LeBron as he gets older, AD who's dealt with injuries. I'd rather be comfortable filling out the team and getting a bench that could go nine deep than I do about, you know, a, a roster with three stars and then a bench that maybe has two guys that I can count on. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be so important with LeBron, like you said, in his later years. Yeah. They're going to have to watch his minutes, certainly. I mean, he, he has paced himself in recent years. He did play 82 games two years ago, back in 2017-18, his last year with Cleveland. But, you know, he, he kind of started that wave of taking, you know, rest days uh, during the season. You know, it started stirring up a lot of controversy uh, around the league with other stars doing that, too. But, you know, he was the start of that, and he was only, you know, in his early 30s at that point. So, you mm-hmm. know, he's going into his age 35 season next year. You're going to have to look at, all right, he's a big part of our future, considering you gave up your entire future. Really, everything centers around LeBron. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how you have to look at it. Now, as for the Pelicans here, I, I love, absolutely love what they were able to bring back. I mean, this team now drafting Zion number one with all these picks in the future, uh, the ability to, to swap this number four pick uh, for even more assets if they choose to. I mean, if you're the Pelicans front office, you're David Griffin, where do you go from here, Blake? I mean, is this a team that you, you, you start young and you, you accumulate a bunch of young players and you try in a year or two? Or do you think you have a contender that you can play now uh, and, and you should act like that uh, with these assets? You know, from the Pelicans' perspective, and I agree, I think this is probably one of the best hauls we've seen, you know, in all of of these recent megastar trades. I mean, you're talking about picks that, you know, if New Orleans wanted to defer their 2024 unprotected, it could go into 2025 where they're still getting, you know, compensation from this trade. So, you know, New Orleans is, is, is set for a, a considerable amount of time in terms of draft capital and stuff like that. And if I'm New Orleans... I'm in the spot of I just need to hope that I know how to draft right and I'm going to do that because you're not really going to be able to attract players to New Orleans. This kind of, you know, in a weird way kind of just reminds me of of, you know, Cleveland when they drafted LeBron. Yes, you have LeBron James in Cleveland, but it's so tough to to get players to want to play in a small market when you can get the same money in a place that's, you know, like a LA or Chicago or New York, Boston, you know, getting guys to spend their season in Cleveland isn't really that enticing. And we saw, you know, LeBron kind of deal with that through the early stages of his really young career, you know, in those middle 2000s. And I think that you could be, you know, you could run into that same problem in New Orleans. It's not a huge market, not, you know, really going to get picked up by national television. Yes, you have a guy like Zion Williamson, but um, I think that you have to take the, the patient and slow approach with this. You have the young assets in place. I would try and keep the cap space fluid because you are going to have to pay all these guys. You're going to pay Lonzo. Maybe you don't have to pay Brandon Ingram too much, but you're going to have to worry about Zion getting paid You know, four or five years down the road. Um, you know, you've got a guy on there like Drew Holiday. I'd keep him around because I think that's a guy that really has dealt through all of this up and down roller coaster with New Orleans. I feel like he'd have a lot to even teach to some of these younger players. I also think it's a good fit. You know, the backcourt duo with with uh, Lonzo and Drew. I think that could work well. 
Um, and if I'm the Pelicans, I kind of take it patient. Maybe I'll try and fill out my bench with some guys. Maybe we'll spend a little more to get our bench. But I'd really focus on, you know, drafting Zion at one, coming out with this young core, and just trying to build something there where you're able to keep them. Because, you know, it, when you start losing those young players, then you run into a situation like you did with Anthony Davis just, you know, these past few years. It's like you can't build around him in New Orleans. They didn't do it right. Now you've got to do it right where you convince these players that are growing up through your system that you drafted that they want to stay and build something in New Orleans. So it is an uphill battle, but I think that the way they are starting with all these picks, you know, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, alongside Zion, potentially the number four pick, I think that's a great start. They just really need to be cautious, not overspend on players. Um, and kind of just hope that this thing builds gradually. Yeah, I'm looking at this team. I mean, one thing's for sure, even if they are going to be bad, they're going to be a lot of fun. I mean, just Lonzo Ball and Zion Williamson on the same team, I mean, they're going to be throwing lobs to each other. You know, you get Brandon Ingram in there, who's been, you know, outstanding, obviously had that blood clot issue, and that kind of put a damper on his trade value a little bit. But, you know, clearly the Pelicans were willing to forego that uh, in this situation. Um, you know, you still have an outstanding shooting guard, Drew Holiday. Julius Randle obviously hit free agency, uh, so they're going to have to fill that spot there. Yeah. I, I don't know if I look at this team as, you know, I think if you try to surround um, th- this roster as you have it now with some slightly above average players, uh, you're going to have a playoff contender, but you're not going to have a NBA Finals contender uh, the way things stand right now. And with all the future assets you have, you know, why not just just take a year or two? Because you're going to you're, you're going to draft enough players where even if a couple of guys start to show up in year one, year two uh, of this process, you know, you're going to be able to trade those future picks to then contend then. You don't need to jump the gun now. And, you know, with the way David Griffin executed this offseason um, so far, I mean, just with this trade, I have all the faith in the world in him, and you know, opposite of how I feel about the Lakers. You know, Griffin left Cleveland because he wasn't given full control of that front office. Uh, you know, took some time off until he was able to get a team that was willing to let him take over completely basketball operations. That's exactly what he's done here in New Orleans, and you know, he's doing an outstanding job. And I have all the faith in the world that he can do that moving forward. So I, I would say, you know, don't try to overspend right now. That being said, I do think that trading the fourth pick would be an excellent idea. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, we've talked in, about this draft a couple times on the podcast and, you know, everybody talks about how it's top heavy. You know, you got the top three guys and there's kind of everybody else. Um, and I'm, I was saying this to Blake a little bit earlier. You know, if you truly believe that after number three, it's a massive toss up uh, between you know, the next 15 guys, why not try to, you know, trade down to the Hawks who have had the eighth and the 10th picks, uh, you know, give them number four pick, take eight and 10 and try to hit on two guys rather than one. Sure. You know, the, the likelihood uh, of a guy like Darius Garland, uh, um, you know, hitting is, is more likely at the number four spot. Uh, I would say down at eight and 10, you know, you're going to get some solid guys in there. You know, Kobe White, Cam Reddish might fall down that far. Um, there's still plenty of guys, the, the kid from Gonzaga, um, you know, there are plenty of guys who, who you could, you know, take a flyer on and try to, to develop, give them a year or two. They're not going to have to play right away because of the depth that you've built through this trade. Um, you know, you can let them come off the bench to start uh, and, and just kind of see where they go from there. And I think that's an, an outstanding route uh, and something that the Pelicans should absolutely consider. Right. And you take a look, um, you know, I, I, this would be the second time I've taken a look at the Warriors, I guess, early on in this podcast. But when you look about how they started their dynasty, you know, they they drafted and got lucky. I mean, get lucky. I'll give them credit, but you do get kind of lucky when you end up with a you know drafting guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green on the same team. 
once you have that young nucleus in there and they're starting to grow and they're getting older and they're maxing out their potential, then you trade for a guy like Andre Iguodala. Then you bring in some of the free agent signings off the bench like they had. Then you are able to really be in there as a, as a title contender um, and, and really compete uh, and maybe attract other free agents that way. But it's got to be slow and gradual. The Warriors showed the patient approach and how it can pay off. Um, of course, you know, maybe they think that, you know, uh, Golden State is maybe a little bit, you know, better of a situation with in terms of money and exposure than New Orleans. But I think that should be the mold for teams that that want to draft and, you know, if they're confident in their drafting ability, maybe you do do that thing where you trade back. I know we've talked about, you know, the rumors that maybe eight and 10 are available. Maybe you, you just, you, you know, if you're confident in your drafting ability, like you were saying, take those two guys and maybe they'll hit just like, you know, uh, some of the, the picks uh, in Golden State worked out for them early on. Then you would go and trade for maybe some of the disgruntled players that don't like the situation they're in. I know we had talked about that situation, like, uh, and this was off air, of course, when we had discussed maybe the idea that Bradley Beal uh, was rumored. You know, the Pelicans were interested in trading that four pick for Bradley Beal. Um, You know, just off that end, I would wait for that trade. I'd want that trade maybe a year or two down the road, where you, when you know that you've got players in here that are capable of elevating your team to playoff contention, title contention, and then trading for a guy like Bradley Beal to add that in there. Because if you trade him in now, you're going to get Bradley Beal for his couple of years, and maybe by the time that you think you're able to uh, compete for the title, a guy like Bradley Beal is like, well, I don't want to be in New Orleans anymore. I did it for a few years, and it wasn't too great. So, you know, you just got to look for the, you know, patient approach, draft right, and then when you're starting to see those pieces come into, you know, full effect and reach their potential, then you can make some of those trades to really boost your team. Yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like Beal, who only has two years of control. If you acquire him right now, you know, mm-hmm. it's not exactly a move for the future. This is no. a move for right now. Right. Now, you certainly have the cap space down the line, you know, to sign Bradley Beal to a, a, a max extension if you decided to do so, um, which Beal has never been an all-NBA player, so he doesn't qualify uh, for the super max extension, which helps out the Pelicans in that regard. But, you know, like you said, that's more of a win-now move uh, if you were going to do that now. Adding Beal does give your team, you know, considerable depth uh, in the backcourt uh, that you can certainly, you know, work from. And you still have, uh, you know, obviously the Wizards would probably give up maybe their pick that they have in the round now. But you're, you're giving up maybe some Lakers picks down the line, maybe one or two, depending on, you know, how that all works out. But the Wizards don't even have a GM, so I don't know how good they're going to be yeah. at negotiating something like that right now. Mm. Um, but, you know, they're their own dumpster fire. Um, you know, let's, you know, the Lakers gave up this package uh, because they need, no, knew they needed a star, right? And that star turned out to be Anthony Davis. The plan, you know, before was was you know Kevin Durant coming into uh, uh, free agency. You know, maybe the Lakers make a run at him. You know, what what exactly are the odds there? When they realize Durant's not available, they pounce on the best known guy that they can get um, in Davis. And, and you know, kudos to the Lakers for that. But that kind of leaves the Knicks uh, in this state of limbo. And I hinted at it. Um, you know, uh, the first time after the KD injury when we talked about this and what if the Knicks were to sign Kevin Durant this offseason if he does decide to opt mm-hmm. out of his deal uh, well, player option with uh, the Warriors what if you sign Durant and just be bad I, I've you know I kind of said that yep. almost as a joke on the podcast before but the more I've thought about it the more I really like the idea it's perfect it's a it's a perfect idea it really is because 
you're setting them up in a situation where you have another year to be bad. And we, we've laid out that blueprint. We talked about it previously. But just to you know rehash it again, the idea is you sign KD to the Supermax. You entice him with the MSG TV show that he'll get where he can show his rehab and get Knicks fans excited for what would be the uh, 20, <clears throat> excuse me, 2020-2021 season. You get a guy, you go in the draft, and you take a guy like R.J. Barrett at number three. Then, you know, you're bad for another year and you're in the round, you know, for another top 10 pick, maybe even better. Maybe you're in that top five consideration with the way the lottery is now. We saw a team at like that has, you know, the eighth uh, best odds get that number one pick. You have no idea how the lottery could play out. So maybe the Knicks, instead of, you know, having the best odds and ending up at number three, could be at number seven and end up with a pick like two or one next year. So you're really in a situation where you could deal with another year of being bad, knowing that KD is coming back. You are able to draft another guy up there. You've got more time and exposure for guys like uh, Kevin Knox and you know a guy like uh, Dennis Smith Jr., Alonzo Trier, Mitchell Robinson to really grow and get in ready for the 2020-2021 season. The other thing that's crazy about that is by that time, the Knicks will have room taking away uh, Kevin Durant's salary. They'll still have room for close to two max players. Which, of course, I don't think that they would be able to entice two max players at the same time. But once you remove DeAndre Jordan's contract beyond that, they're going to have so much money that they can bring in two max stars along with Kevin Durant. Which is just unheard of um, because they've got so many guys that they've got in just off the bench that are making low money, rookie contracts. They're really not paying anybody outside of DeAndre Jordan. So by the time that this comes around, you could have a situation where Kevin Durant takes the entire year off, gets back to 100% for two seasons from now. You've got Kevin Knox, R.J. Barrett, uh, Mitchell Robinson, Dennis Smith Jr., and then potentially you could go in and sign one of the top free agents in next year's free agency class. To me, that's the perfect situation for the Knicks. You just have to hope that they're able to get Kevin Durant because, you know, we've all talked about how the, you know, the dream situation was Kyrie, Zion, and KD. Two of those are already seemingly off the board. You have to hope that KD is there. And then, you know, I think that Knicks fans will deal with one more year of being bad if they know that the potential for two years now and for the foreseeable future after that is going to be extremely bright. You know, it, it, the one downside to this whole thing uh, with that plan is, you know, I mean, if, if the, the Knicks don't sign Durant, you know, they're not going to be able to sign a combination of stars, I believe, that makes them no. NBA Finals contenders Mm-mm. right now. I mean, I don't think that there's anything that they can do uh, to elevate this roster from a 17-win season to a 50-win season. I mean, I just don't see that happening, you know, unless Durant, who had been healthy, and you pair him up with another star. I think that's really the only way, uh, you know, plus you get the, the top draft pick. I really don't think they're, they're, that would have been the only way uh, that that happens. And what sucks about that is... Because of this injury and because of the Clay Thompson injury to, uh, you know, and how much of a blow this is going to be for the Warriors, you know, we're really looking at one of the most wide open NBA seasons we've seen in a long time yeah. in terms of who is the favorite. I mean, you know, a lot of people are talking right now as the Lakers. I mean, at least in Vegas, the Lakers are the betting favorite right now. They're a team that didn't even make the playoffs last year. You know, for, for us to be saying that the Lakers are the favorite right now after not having even been in the postseason, after making the number four pick in the draft, or at least having it before they trading it, traded it, you know, that says to me, we're in a great time to be an NBA fan. And mm. you know, we, we've been through this, this time where, you know, honestly, for the past decade, 
we've just kind of been the consensus that either the Warriors or LeBron is going to win the finals. You know, that's just kind of where we've been at, uh, you know, over the years. And it's almost as if this is just a, a restart button for the league. I mean, we saw this this dynasty that the Warriors have had, one of the best in the history of professional sports, just come down in this burning fire. Uh, everything come crashing down with their injuries to two of their three best players. I mean, that that's catastrophic, something you can never predict. And now the league, you know, obviously not accounting for something like that, is left, you know, to pick up the ashes. And there's a lot of teams vying for that top spot. I mean, even the defending champs, the Raptors, they're losing Kawhi. I mean, supposedly he could, of course, resign. Um, but, you know, this, this whole next season is going to be wide open. And the Knicks are almost poised to, to jump all over it. Um, but... Obviously, that's not going to be happening. So you wonder, you know, if a year ago we would never would have guessed the league would look like this. We have no idea what the league's going to look like next year. But you have a feeling that there's going to be a couple teams that might, you know, narrow the gap toward uh, being the, considered the top teams, uh, like we've seen. Because that's just kind of how basketball's always been. I mean, you know, that we—it's been a long time since the league has just been this wide open and, and that's just because there's always one team or two teams that seem to be ahead of the curve and everybody else is left catching up or you just have LeBron, you know, one yeah. of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it does suck for the Knicks that they're not going to be able to, to capitalize on something like that. Um, but it, it, you know, we'll see. Now, how about the Warriors? Uh, you know, we're looking at a team now, like mm-hmm. I said, lost clay is, is not going to have KD. At least he might be on the team if he takes that player option or signs an extension, uh, but he won't be playing next year. That's for sure. You know, you might get clay back in the playoffs, but you know, this was a team that already had pretty bad depth this season. Uh, and that was kind of exposed in the playoffs when we did see these injuries. Clay, uh, Steph Curry was triple teamed uh, once Clay went down. I mean, there was absolutely no getting him the ball in open space. Uh, and nobody else was hitting shots, and they were taking them wide open. Uh, and it just kind of showed that the, the Warriors really didn't have very many guys to fill those gaps. So what do you see the Warriors doing this offseason? Are they going to be major players for any free agents? Or you know, is it more that they just need to build up that depth again? Because that was their identity before KD came to town. Yeah, the, the biggest thing that they've got to do right now is, of course, I think the first move is you give the super max or you give the max extension that you give to Clay Thompson uh, for what he is able to earn. Um, I think that should be probably the first thing that you do. I just think that he's such a unique guy for his two-way ability. He's one of... You know, probably when he's hot, he's probably the hottest shooter in the history of the NBA. Um, his his rhythm is unbelievable. He's still on the opposite side of, of the age of 30, which means, you know, I mean, he's close. He's 29, but you're still going to have him for a considerable amount of time. Now, the injury, you got to hope that he comes back from the ACL healthy. <clears throat> Excuse me, but in my mind, he's the first priority. You go and you extend clay. You don't worry about that, and you get someone that you know, like I've talked about and like we've talked about that can, you know, cover up some of uh, Steph's, you know, liabilities, you know, defense, athleticism, stuff like that. So that's option number one. Then, of course, you take a look at Kevin Durant. Their plan is that they're going to offer him either, you know, that super max or a potential one-in-one where Kevin Durant would sign, uh, you know, a salary for next season with a player option the year after if he decides to stay in, or you just go and give him the full five-year super max. I don't think that the Supermax is the way to go, especially if Kevin Durant chose to sign it because you're running into the same problems like we just said. And not only that, you're going to lose a guy like Draymond Green when he becomes a free agent uh, at the end of next season. So you're paying Steph Curry uh, $40 million next year, $43 million the year after, and nearly 46 the year after that. 
And then you're going to be paying Klay Thompson a lot of money. Um, to me, if I'm the Warriors, I'm not going to say that I'm just going to give up on Kevin Durant, but they we have seen that this team is capable of winning and competing for titles and winning championships without a guy like Kevin Durant. The thing is, like we said, you need to go back to that bench uh, and you need to be able to get guys that can, you know, you can go, you know, three, four guys deep and especially up front. Because if you looked at the end of that series, Draymond Green's, you know, a good defender, but he's not a great rim protector. He doesn't have much size. DeMarcus Cousins isn't known for his defense. And then beyond that, you had Andrew Bogut and Kevon Looney, which Kevon Looney played through a really tough injury, but he's also not that big. And Andrew Bogut isn't, you know, in my opinion, shouldn't be on an NBA floor. I don't think he's that talented of a player anymore. So you really need to focus on filling up the depth in the front court. Of course, the wing position. You can hope that Andre Iguodala is still going to be a serviceable starter next year without Kevin Durant. But, you know, by that point, he's going to be the age of 36. And I don't know if you can count on him for that. So you're going to need to fill out the depth. There are other free agents. I don't think you should go in the approach like we talked about with the Lakers. I don't think the approach is to... Uh, try and bring in another star player. I think maybe you try and run it back with, with you know, you, you run bare bones and try and make the playoffs with Steph Draymond in the bench next year. Um, maybe Clay comes back and you're able to make a late uh, playoff push in the end, and maybe Kevin Durant comes back and you're able to, you know, extend that playoff run. But I would I would run it back with, uh, you know, the bare bones of Steph Curry, Draymond Green, try and fill out the depth, and then wait again for the 2020-21 season when everyone is healthy and you've got a better bench, more depth up front. Maybe some of your younger guys are growing more, like Kevon Looney, Quinn Cook, like we saw them grow this past year. And then you're looking at a, a team that I think can still win with that backcourt. It's it's not going to be too tight on its budget. Um, and, you know, they hopefully have enough of, a deep enough of a rotation to uh, keep this dynasty, uh, you know, running for the next couple of years. So what would you say is the team's floor next year? Now, I, I think yeah. I don't think anyone's going to argue that their ceiling mm-hmm. is winning the finals. Right. I mean, I, it would pay, take an outstanding season to happen. I mean, for after everything they went through in the finals, you know, for them to go back would be incredible. But at the same time, I don't think anyone would be super surprised. I mean, after what we've seen them do for the past half decade, you know, you, you, you never count Steph Curry out. Maybe he has another MVP year. Draymond, you know, we saw him play very well in the playoffs uh, when he was, you know, uh, on the floor a lot more. Uh, you know, Iggy could step up. You know, Kevon Looney might have a good year. We still have Clay have a chance of coming back in the playoffs. So I think, you know, there's still – the, the potential for them to win the NBA Finals. But what is the floor for the Warriors next season? To me, I'd say the floor is probably, I'm going to go with a 6 or 7 seed in the West because I think the West is too competitive. If you take guys like uh, the Rockets, the Lakers, um, you take teams like Utah, Portland, um, tr- who else am I forgetting? There, I mean, the West is just so competitive right now. And of course, with free agency, you could see a team like the Clippers, if they're able to land, you know, Kawhi Leonard, they're obviously going to be one of the top teams in the West. I think the absolute floor is probably the bottom three seeds in the Western Conference. But if they end up there, and by that point, the you know, like we said, Thompson and Kevin Durant are back playing and maybe aren't 100%, but are, you know, good enough to go, you could be looking at a situation where they could make some real noise. But it will, you know, it, it's going to take, to me, like you said, an MVP season from Curry. And I think the ideal situation is Curry. Uh, you run a starting lineup of Curry. Maybe you figure out the shooting guard. I'm not sure right now. Maybe you convince your you know, little brother, uh, Seth Curry, to get in there. Or maybe, you know, some of the other guards that we've talked about, uh, Danny Green, um, maybe a guy like Bojan Bogdanovic. Maybe you bring one of those guys in to, to fill the two-hole until uh, Thompson is back. 
You run Iggy at the starting position, but you try and keep his minutes limited. Draymond at the four, and maybe you bring back Boogie Cousins because I think as as wishwashy as he was at times, and it seemed like he could melt down. I I don't think on the market right now you could find a good enough center to replace him. So I'd probably bring back uh, Demarcus Cousins and try and fill out that bench with other guys like we you know shooters, guys up front, stuff like that. For me, personally, I don't think Cousins comes, goes back. I think yeah. he needs to rebuild his value, and I don't think he's going to be able to do that on the Warriors. Well, with, uh, you know, just, just I, he would be in the spotlight more, but right. I think you need to put him on a team where, you know, he, he's take, he's kind of the guy, uh, you know, he's eating up all the minutes, yeah. he's, you know, getting the ball a lot more. He's just, I, there's too many shooters, too many guys for the ball to go around to for, but I if think, you... him to want to sign there. But if you look at the the situation they're in without Kevin and Clay for the season, you would say that I would think that he'd be the number two scoring uh, option on offense, which to me isn't too bad if you've got a point guard like Steph Curry that could find him. You know, Draymond's not known for his shooting. Andre Iguodala doesn't want to shoot three-pointers and and isn't really a go-to scorer. If you bring in a top shooting guard, maybe, but, you know, I would think that if he was on the Warriors, I get it might not be the situation that's most ideal, but I think he would get pretty good opportunities at least until those other guys return. We'll see. We'll see. On the other mm-hmm. side of the NBA Finals, though, is the Raptors. Uh, you know, obviously the team that won the championship, Kawhi, coming in there for just one season and doing everything that he could have possibly done uh, with Toronto. Now we look toward the future. You know, does he re-sign? And, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at this and saying, okay, they won the title. Uh, you know, he got to play with this team as much as he could have. The team, the city has, or even the country, has embraced him. You know, why not just re-sign there? You've got a good thing going. Try and repeat. You know, I, I think that with where he is at in his career, he's already won two titles. Uh, he wanted to go to L.A. That was always kind of the thing for him. And I, I don't think it really mattered what the Raptors did in the postseason. He was going to leave for L.A. anyway, whether that be the Lakers and the, or the Clippers. And it's looking now like it's going to be the Clippers. And, you know, honestly, I think it's a foregone conclusion that he leaves Toronto. Uh, I don't want it to be, and I, and I do think it's it's closer, in my opinion, I believe it's closer than a foregone conclusion that he leaves. I think that the championship does mean something. Now, it's different. If he's already made up his mind, if he made up his mind during the trade and he said, okay, I'm traded to Toronto, I'm going to play it out for one year, see what we can do, and I'm going to leave, then fine. If he's already made up his mind, then that's it. But I truly think that he's a guy that I think would just be open to possible situations, and the fact that Toronto... Throughout the East, we talked about all year that there were so many teams in the mix, the 76ers, the Bucks, the Raptors, and uh, who's the other team I'm thinking of? Uh, the Bucks. Wait, did I say them already? It was the Bucks, yeah, 76ers, <laughs> Celtics, and Raptors. I left Celtics. out the Celtics. So it was those yeah. four teams. He was able to take a team that had one other all-star player and a really deep team. Of course, they did trade for Marc Gasol and stuff like that. Pascal Siakam really grew in his second year, and Fred Van Vliet was amazing off the bench. You know, I just I would take a look, and I, I if I'm Kawhi Leonard, and I don't know what I care about, but if I'm looking at my legacy, I think it's so much easier to get to the finals in the East than to join the Clippers in the West and worry about teams like the Lakers, like the uh, Golden State Warriors, the Houston Rockets, the Utah Jazz, the Portland Trailblazers. It's such an easier path to make it to the championship. Now I get it. You're in Canada. It's not as big of a market for you know the as as you know a Los Angeles team would. 
uh, would be. But, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard entering, you know, the age 28, this is going to be the prime years of his career. I think the situation is so perfect for him in Toronto because, like you said, that's an entire country that has just welcomed him. He can eat for free. He's got, you know, we saw him kind of let loose a little during the celebration, which was nice. He, he joked about his laugh and I think instantly became one of my favorite players uh, to watch. I thought that was so funny the way he ended his speech. Um, you know, they've got decisions to make in in uh, Toronto, of course, you know, you've got to bring back a guy like Fred Van Vliet, who, you know, since he was such a late pick, is, I think, an unrestricted free agent this season. Um, and you've got to worry about filling in some other roles. You know, you don't want to lose Danny Green, a really good 3 and D type guy. But, man, the situation is just so perfect. I would really hate to see Kawhi leave Toronto because this is a team that just really has a title build and it's just it just needed a superstar. And it got one. And I'd hate to see them lose it because I truly think that Beyond this year, Toronto could still compete for titles with the team that they have. See, I, I think the thing here, one, I don't think that uh, Kawhi necessarily cares the size of the market. Um, I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I don't I don't know the guy. I, I couldn't, you know, tell him, tell you, you know, what he's thinking. But, you know, the, the type of reserve player he is, he, he probably doesn't like the spotlight. But that being said, uh, you know, he, he's from L.A. or he's from California, um, you know, he has a lot of roots there. I, I think, you know, like I said, he's already won two titles. And sure, you, you talk about, well, you know, he, he have a good team around him with the potential to do it again. You look at what the kind of team that the Clippers have right now. I mean, you have SGA, who's 20, Landry Shamit, 21, uh, Zubox, 21. Um, you know, Avery Bradley's still only 28 years old. Patrick Beverly just finished his age 30 season. Same with Gallinari. I mean, this is a good, good young core. Montrez Harrell is, tw- is 25. I mean, you know, looking up and down this roster, there's there's a lot to like. Uh, and if you insert yourself, you know, obviously you're taking Tobias Harris out of the equation now with him being a free agent. But, you know, you, you slide Kawhi in there, who's arguably one of the top five players in the game, if not uh, absolutely one of the top five players in the game after we saw what, what we saw him do this postseason, uh, especially, you know, considering his defensive abilities. I, I, I really like what the future of the Clippers mm-hmm. could be. And I think that you add Kawhi into this lineup that you have right now, you're looking at an NBA Finals contender. You're not looking at it as just a fringe team. I mean, you know, we saw them be an eight seed this past year without Kawhi. So, uh, you know, they had some fun games against the Warriors. Not going to say that they were, you know, ultra competitive uh, in the series. But, you know, they made it interesting. And uh, we saw some things, you know, out of Landry Shamit that, you know, entering the year, I don't think I expected to see out of Landry right. Shamit. I wouldn't have even said he was on my radar at that point. So, um, you know, I, I really like this young core that the Clippers have. And I think if you are talking about wanting to win championships, it's not like he's going, you know, to a loser team in his hometown and yeah. just going to ride out the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd still be putting himself in a great place uh, with an organization that's on the come up. Yeah, I, no, I totally, I think the Clippers situation is perfect. I, you know, Doc Rivers is a hell of a coach. We've seen him, you know, take teams to national recognition time and time again. And, and like you said, the young players that are there are also great. But to me, you know, if I'm looking at Toronto, it's just, it's still better. It's still a better situation. Why have to readjust to everything and get acclimated with a new team, new coaching staff, when you know that back in Toronto, you still have an all-star player like Kyle Lowry, and I don't, you know, 
correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe I'd say there's a guy in the Clippers roster right now that I'd consider an all-star player. And then you've got guys around him that just, you know, have experience and then a mix of young guys. I think, you know, having a guy like, um, let me just take, I'm trying to find his name, Sergi Baca, having him in there with Pascal Siakam. You've got Kyle Lowry and, and uh, you know, Danny Green alongside a guy like Fred Van Vliet. you got Mark Gasol. Maybe you get in another center in there, a younger center. Maybe you take a draft flyer on and see if you can groom that up. I think that this is just so sustainable that when these older players like a guy like, um, you know, Sorry, I, I keep looking at these name these list of names and losing the guys I'm looking for. When it's time for a guy like Sergi Baca and Danny Green and Marcus Saul to that are getting older and past their time, you got you already have guys in place that could fill in those roles. And you know, I the it, it really just comes down to the fact that I think that Toronto it's it's an easier path. If you keep it and run it back, it's an easier path to the finals. I think with the West, it's just so complicated because we don't know what the, you know, LeBron AD is going to look like. We don't know what the Warriors are going to do. You know, the Rockets, I guess, have a ton of turmoil going on right now. But I just think that the East is so much more open. And, you know, you've got teams like Portland that, you know, made a nice run this year. you got a team like uh, Utah who is, you know, shown, you know, in, in young stages Donovan Mitchell can lead a team. I think the path is so much easier in the East to get to finals. And if, if you want to get to the finals, if you want to compete for championships, you got to make it there first. And I think that's just so much easier in the East. And I think the situations, you know, to me, I'd compare the Clippers as kind of the Eastern Conf- or the Western Conference version of the Toronto Raptors just missing Kawhi Leonard. I think it's it's the same opportunity. I get living in your hometown might be nice, but I, I just I would be too worried of going to the Clippers and not being able to bring that team to what you're able to do in Toronto in such short time. Yeah, I, I get that. And the, the thing is, though, I don't think that there is anybody who's going to say that, you know, boo on you, uh, Kawhi for leaving yeah. Toronto. Even yeah. a, among uh, Raptors fans, you know, he won on the title. He did what he had to do uh, to win over that fan base and for nobody to question what he does. So I think that takes a lot of pressure off of it. I mean, I don't even know if, if that's the kind of thing where Kawhi would have listened to the pressure. If, you know, maybe he got really close and the Warriors closed things out, unfinished business type deal. You know, he comes back to, to, to seal the deal and get the Raptors that title. You know, that's a different story, but I think now that they've won the title, a lot of people are saying that's the only way he would have re-signed is if they won the title. Mm-hmm. I say that that is all the reason for him to go. Nah. Um, you know, he, he's, he, he got accomplished what he needed to accomplish, and, you know, he, he bids you adieu and says, you know, good luck with everything. I'm going to go back uh, home, do what's best for my family, uh, you know, let them be near their family and friends from where they grew up. Uh, you know, that's I think that that's kind of where he's thinking right now. Uh, more so than, you know, uh, finishing, you know, this ride with the Raptors that has been started. It's been a great ride. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this was a a great season for Toronto and a lot of fun to watch and a hell of a playoff run. But, you know, I just don't see Kawhi, you know, really holding that uh, in all that much importance. Mm -hmm. But that's just my take. All right. But there's two teams left. Uh, I had a little list here of teams I wanted to touch on. Um, so far, and there's two teams left, and they're actually kind of connected uh, in a big way, and that's the Celtics and the Nets. Uh, the Celtics obviously look like they're going to be losing um, Kyrie Irving to free agency. Last I saw was Kyrie had practically ghosted uh, the Celtics front office. Uh, they appear content with moving on without him, uh, and appears that the team he's going to be going to is not the Knicks, but the Nets, 
uh, over in Brooklyn, a, a move that we broke down uh, a couple of pods ago. But, you know, where – I guess – we, we looked at the Celtics and the Nets. This is not the only way that they've been connected. We obviously had that massive trade uh, where the, the Nets gave up a ton of draft picks, brought back KG uh, and a few others to you know try and make a, a super team that really failed. Uh, and they had some really dark years as one of the worst teams in the NBA. Meanwhile, the Celtics accumulated assets uh, to the point where we thought they had an embarrassment of riches. Uh, and they just haven't really been able to get over the hump. And you know with the assets that they've had, uh, where are the Celtics now? And I guess all things considered, which team of those two do you think, Blake, is on the better trajectory right now? Who do you see being better over the next three to five years? Ooh, I'm still going to go with the Boston Celtics without Kyrie Irving. Um, but, you know, it, it is funny. Like we talked about, they were on these different, such different paths, and I think they are a little bit closer now than they used to be. I, I'm still going to give the edge to the Celtics. And it's funny, you know, we've both – we're talking about the podcast earlier, so I know we both have listened to it, but Bill Simmons kind of laid this down on his most recent podcast. And if you've been following the Celtics and listening to Bill Simmons and the Celtics fans, they've really been accumulating these assets that was supposed to land them Anthony Davis. And the idea was that you were going to get Kyrie and AD, and then all of a sudden, Kyrie just single-handedly ruined it by by just making it blatantly clear that he wasn't going to play in Boston. You know, you were you were building up where you were going to trade a guy like Jason Tatum, maybe Jalen Brown, and a couple picks for Anthony Davis, and then Anthony Davis just didn't want to play there because Kyrie didn't want to, and they just they weren't going to build something. Um, and, and so, you know, it's funny that you know Kyrie is now going to go to the team that they got all those assets from. Um, but I am still going to give the Celtics the the better edge. I still think they're the better market, and I you know. I love Brad Stevens. I think outside of Greg Popovich, he is the best coach in the NBA. Um, I think he really maxes potential out of all of his young players, whether it's you know the, the star franchise uh, small forward or the 10th guy on the bench. I think he knows how to tap into players in today's game. And uh, you know, you take that, you take Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, you assume Al Horford's going to opt back in. Um, I, I still believe that Boston is is on the better trajectory because I also, as much as I hate to, to, to rag on the guy too much, I just don't want Kyrie Irving leading my team. I just don't want it. I think his personality sucks. I don't think he's a guy that I would really want to have around a bunch of young players. We saw it in Boston. He was frustrated. He's going to be in the same exact situation in Brooklyn, probably worse because I don't think the young players are just as talented as Boston had with Tatum and, 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 and uh, Jalen as well too. I just I just don't see it working with Kyrie in Brooklyn. I think it's going to be one of those situations where he signs the contract and becomes frustrated again, and I think it really could derail Brooklyn's plans. I don't know, man. I've just I've gotten excited about this Brooklyn Nets team. I mean, obviously, you know, D'Angelo Russell was kind of the heart and soul of the team this year, but uh, I don't know. I mean, what if what if okay, just just for a second here. DeMarcus Cousins decides to sign uh, <laughs> with Brooklyn, and you pair him up uh, with Kyrie in this young core. What do, what do you think about that? I mean, you know, that, that's something that they could absolutely do yeah. uh, if they don't bring back Russell. If they want their building to burn on fire, I just think that's like the worst personality duo to have. You know, <laughs> I, I thought that Kyrie Irving and Jimmy Butler would but, be But a that's bad the duo. thing, but that, that's the one thing, is he's not your sole star anymore. Is oh, you have but, that, not just... Not just the star of pedigree in terms of playing, but also yeah. the name value. Uh, you know, sells the tickets. 
you put him on all the programs kind of deal. Yeah, I, I think that you know you don't have Kyrie being the the leading voice in there, but I would say that I wouldn't want Demarcus Cousins being you know sharing that leading voice either. Um, I get it would split it up, but I think you know you take a look at two guys with outstanding personalities in in Houston. You take a look at James Harden and Chris Paul, and we we look at all the turmoil they have. You know, reports came out that Chris Paul demanded a trade. Harden wouldn't speak to him for a while off the court. Um, you look into all of that, and it's like two crazy personalities that are known to be crazy personalities I don't think will mesh well. Um, you know, you take a look at a guy like Jimmy Butler. He's floated around a few teams in every situation. He just doesn't mesh well with other players. And so I think, you know, I think it would certainly be an interesting thing to look at, having Kyrie and DeMarcus Cousins in Brooklyn at the same time. But for a team where my my younger players are, are the, you know, the up-and-coming stars like Aronde Hollis-Jefferson, a guy like Jarrett Allen, who I think has a lot of potential as a center in this league, uh, you got Karis LeVert, uh, Alan Crabb just got there, he's a little bit older, and then D'Angelo Russell, if you're able to bring him back or whatever you decide to do there. I just think that Brooklyn would just, I, they wouldn't be able to control I don't think the head coach, Kenny Atkinson, would be able to control his team. Yeah, it would be interesting to watch. And I wasn't saying that the two of them would gel well uh, in terms of personality. It's great talent. Uh, I think it would be a fun, yeah, it would be a a lot of fun to watch. um, But that would certainly uh, be interesting uh, you know, to, to see how that breaks down. I think, I think the Nets are two stars away, uh, Mm. from being an NBA finals contender. I keep using that term. Um, but, uh, there, I honestly, you know, you talked about how you thought the Clippers were the West, uh, Western conference version of the Raptors. I think the Nets are the Eastern conference version of the Clippers and that they just have so much young talent. I mean, they're a little bit older. They're a little bit older, uh, in my opinion, but, uh, as far as the way they're built, uh, and, and, you know, they've had all these guys come up together with a couple of veterans off the bench. Uh, you know, a guy who came through in a trade uh, is, you know, leading the way in D'Angelo Russell. I've, I've, you know, really liked what they've been doing mm-hmm. uh, on this come up over the past couple of years. Just like the way I, I've liked what the Clippers have done uh, since they've kind of had to come off of that Chris Paul, Blake, Blake Griffin, uh, DeAndre Jordan era. Um, you know, when we, you know, they've really had to have a big upswing. You know, same with the Nets and uh, how tragically they fell. Uh, so I, I like this team, um, but I, I would agree with you that the way things stand right now, if we're if we're assuming Kyrie is on the Nets, I agree with you that the Celtics are the better team right now, right? Um, because I do think that the Nets are another star away. Now, you know, you might ask me this question at the end of the off season, yeah. and I give you a different answer depending oh, yeah. on what the Nets do. Um, you know, but I, I think that the way the things stand right now, I mean, they're just underperformed. I mean, you know, we're looking at a guy, Gordon Hayward, you know, coming back next year. We expect him to be better. I, I think that's the general consensus. The Celtics certainly expect that out of him, mm-hmm. uh, certainly for what they're paying paying him. Um, but I, I think that we can reasonably expect him to be better. You know, Al Horford coming back, he was a, a strong anchor. We we didn't see the the progression we thought we'd see out of Jalen Brown, perhaps in year three. Uh, he he picked back up on that progression. You know, Jason Tatum uh, getting expanded role. Terry Rozier, we really get to see him. Yeah. Uh, you know, step into his own and, and play through a full season. Maybe we don't even miss a step at the point guard position. You don't really know. Um, so, you know, I, there's a lot. Uh, I think there's definitely a higher ceiling uh, with that Celtics team. Um, but, we, you know, we've seen it all fall apart before. It can certainly yeah. do so again. But I, I think the Nets are a team to watch mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what they do this offseason because they've been kind of gearing up for this offseason too, uh, you know, the way their roster is structured with how much money they have available, um, you know, 
if they don't think that they can get another star outside of Kyrie, I mean, the last time we had this conversation, uh, you know, Kevin Durant was still a possibility. Uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell looks a lot more attractive to re-sign, uh, you know, as a restricted free agent. So we'll see uh, what they do, but I, I've, I've definitely got my eye on the Nets this offseason. I think they could be major players. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, of course, when you bring in Kyrie, it's it's, you know, that's the first block to fall, and then you've got the trickle effect. Who is he going to be able to bring in alongside him? Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I, listen, I don't want to rag on them too much. I do like the young players that they have there. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I worry about character. And, of course, I, w- I would rather honestly run it back with D'Angelo Russell and, and try and maybe get a couple wing guys or another, you know, power forward. Maybe you team him back up with Julius Randle and just make him, you know, the, the Los Angeles Lakers on the East Coast from, you know, back in those days. <laughs> yeah. Maybe bring back Nick Young so they can hang out again and you know make up from their their uh, times that you know their rough patch that they had in Los Angeles. <laughs> but no, I, I certainly agree. Brooklyn is you know is a playoff team in the Eastern Conference the way they are structured now with Kyrie Irving. They definitely are. But you know, like you said, you know this could be all, all everything we've talked about today could just be completely different by the end of July. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, this we've been looking forward to this offseason for a while. Obviously, it's lost kind of the luster at the top, and it almost seems like, you know, we have a lot of guys who we already consider going to, to specific destinations. Right. Kevin Durant, uh, that's a big question mark. I think that's, you know, obviously going to swing a lot of things, but you look at Kawhi to the Clippers, Kyrie to the Nets, Kemba's been rumored to want to go back to the Hornets, Clay back to the Warriors. Who knows what Jimmy Butler is going to do? Um, Al Horford back to the Celtics. D'Angelo Russell possibly back to the Nets. I mean, you know, that's a huge part uh, of this entire you know landscape here, where we're kind of looking at uh, a different you know we maybe a lot different than we thought it was going to be with everything a little bit settled. Uh, but that being said, you know, like Kevin Durant having to make his decision, that's huge. Um, Kyrie, I, mean, I could see him not going to the Nets. Um, you know, I think there's certainly. Uh, some room there. Kemba, if he gets an attractive enough offer, if the Lakers want to go into that uh, market, they certainly could. Um, but uh, hell, this is making Jimmy Butler look like a really attractive free agent. I gotta say. Oh yeah, certainly. He's a guy that you would have to consider. Would you know? I where would the spot end up for him? Of course, you know you consider he could go back to Philadelphia, but. Maybe he's that second star that goes to Brooklyn, and of course, I don't think the personalities mesh all too well there either. But then you got to take a look. Maybe a team like Toronto, you know, I don't know if he'd want to play there. Man, I, you know, the options are going to be really interesting to see where these other stars fall. Because say Kawhi does go to to Los Angeles, um, do the Raptors try and make that? Does you know if Kawhi stays in Toronto, do the Clippers make Jimmy Butler their their you know all star type player around him? It certainly could go one of so many ways uh, this free agency period. All right. Well, are there any other teams that you wanted to touch on uh, before hmm. we get out of here? I'm trying to think. I think I've got it all. I, I think I've got we, – we covered just about everything I was thinking of. You know. Oh, one other thing that I think is interesting is we're probably going to see another big move or two uh, within the next week before this upcoming NBA draft. Uh, the most notable that I've kind of been seeing just through Twitter and surfing through stuff is that Mike Conley could be on the move. And right now it's rumored that uh, the Utah Jazz are front runners to, to land him. So then you take into account that, you know, a backcourt of, of Mike Conley and, and Donovan Mitchell, what that could bring to Utah. Uh, and then you kind of clear the way for, you know, uh, John Morant to come into Memphis and be, you know, the star guy, giving the keys to the car. That would be a lot of fun in Utah, man. 
I love mm. that Jazz team. I mean, they're just a lot of fun oh, to so watch. Fun. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is one of the most exciting young players in the NBA. Uh, Rudy Gobert, a vastly underrated center. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. this, this roster up and down, it's deep. Uh, you know, you, you kind of even forget that guys like Kyle Korver and Jay Crowder are on the bench. Uh, proven mm-hmm. playoff uh, players, role players. Uh, even down farther, you got Dabo Cephalosha and Grayson Allen. Um, Grayson, Grayson Allen, Allen. Who, yeah, I just had to throw him in there. Uh, of course. <laughs> quick Duke, Duke reference for you. But, you know, uh, I love this this Jazz team, and, and you throw uh, a guy like Conley in there who's just a stand-up dude, you know, one of uh, my favorite players just in terms of his personality in the NBA. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, he's going to jazz well. <laughs> no pun intended. Wow, that was so bad. <laughs> uh, he's going to gel well uh, with Jeez. this Jazz team. Uh, I, I think he fits right into that locker room. Uh, and that would be a lot of fun to walk, watch. And then obviously John Morant gets the floor uh, in Memphis, and you know he, he he deserves that chance. I mean, what we saw out of him at Murray State has been absolutely incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of the draft, though, you know who who do you think is going at number four? This has been a, a question tossed around. I think Hunter's pretty much out at this point, uh, yeah. and it, it's it's between Garland, uh, of course, uh, and Jarrett Culver out of Texas Tech. Uh, the consensus consensus to me seems like. The Pelicans keep the pick. They pick Culver, but if they trade it, it's going to be Garland. Uh, is that the way you see it, uh, or do you think that the Pelicans could go with Garland, or uh, that you know somebody trades up to get Culver? Yeah, I mean, I do. In my eyes, it's it should it, it's Garland, um, and I, I think we we hear that, and we you know recent just looking what's happening around the league. The Knicks just flew in Garland for you know a last second workout. Uh, and they really had, you know, their eyes this entire time set on R.J. Barrett. So you would have to think that maybe they're trying to incentivize trades with for the number three pick because they, if there's a team, you know, four, five, or six, it's like, you know, uh, you know, Darius Garland is our guy. We need to make a move to move up a little to get him, you know, to avoid the Knicks slipping up there. Um, but you know, I, I think everyone believes that the Knicks are taking R.J. Barrett as they should. Um, but I, I do think it. Just looking at that and trends and seeing that, you know, the Knicks are, are doing a last-minute workout for him um, kind of suggests to me that he's being looked at as that fourth pick. Well, this is the thing for Barrett for me is if the Knicks are willing to trade down, the Knicks are the only team that Barrett worked out with. So they're yeah. the only team that has insight on him. If I'm another mm-hmm. another team and I, I see the Knicks either trade away the third pick or pass up on Barrett, I'm staying away from him. You know, I'll let him slide past me. You know, whatever right. the Knicks saw, it's clearly something I don't want any part of. Uh, so, oh, yeah. you know, that that's that's my opinion. Uh, you know, and shame on Barrett for not, you know, uh, working out with other teams. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I know that it seemed to be a consensus that he was going to go number three, but at least, you know, go with a couple of the other teams at four, five, or six. Because in the, in the, you know, event that this does happen, that you do slide past the number three spot, uh, you know, at that point, that kind of you know, will give you some backup. Other teams have seen you. There might be at least one team in that group that likes what they saw. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, it's it's certainly an interesting situation, him only taking the Knicks workout. But he's made it very clear he wants to work there. Um, so, you know, it, it could just fall flat on his face, and then you see a massive fall later on. But even if he didn't get selected by the team the Knicks drafted, I don't think he would last past four because of the idea of having RJ and Zion would probably be just something to to make the two excited about playing in a market like New Orleans. And then you've got a really interesting team if you're the Pelicans at number four and you can get them. 
you know, if you draft Zion at one and you've been in talks with Zion and then he's all of a sudden, you know, RJ's available at four, I'm sure Zion has talked up well enough, uh, RJ Barrett, to say that he would want to play with him again. Uh, so that'd certainly be enticing. You know, then you got a lineup of Lonzo, Drew Holiday, RJ Barrett, Zion Williamson, Josh Hart, a guy like, you know, Brandon Ingram figuring out what's going on with him. Um, that'd be a cool idea for, for New Orleans. I've always been on the boat. I'd like to see those two play together in the pros, but, um, for right now, it does look like the Knicks will take him. I know they did the workout for Garland, and maybe they choose to trade out. But I think it's it's probably just a smoke screen for now. We'll see. I'm really excited mm-hmm. for this NBA draft. It's going to be I mean, great. I know, uh, I, I've, I said this to Blake earlier. This is you know a top heavy draft, but I, I think there's we're going to see some surprises in this four to fifteen range. Uh, maybe some players that you know nobody had. Uh, in the top 10 in, in terms of mock drafts, just one team really liked and decided to go for it uh, on mm-hmm. that. And I don't think anybody could really fault them for that with just how kind of, uh, you know, everybody seems to always have these set rankings going into a draft. But in, in a, a draft like this where you know nobody really stands out uh, in that middle group, uh, you shouldn't be surprised to see some, some names you may not have heard of. Um, which Definitely. for me, uh, you know, wanting the Wizards to, to get a good player, being at number nine, you know, it seemed to me like the, there was a drop-off after the top eight picks, um, at least in terms of people who are projected to go in that top eight. You know, you know that's where you get out of there with guys like uh, Kobe White and DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. Uh, they're all gone at that point. Uh, you know, obviously Garland and uh, Culver being in that group too, where at number right. nine, you, you know, you start having to go to some foreign players uh, or you know, guys like Jackson Hayes or Nasir Little, who, you know, I, I, in my opinion, just didn't grade very well, uh, you know, coming into this draft. So I'm hoping that uh, a team or two in the top 10, uh, you know, reaches on a guy so that we can, you know, get a guy. I, I would actually be very happy if Cam Reddish got pushed down to the Wizards. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know that, you know, he was a bit of a disappointment this year at Duke, but, you know, he's still 6'8", uh, you know, just a, a specimen of a human being. I would love to see him in a Wizards uniform. Uh, plus, he brings some good name value, which the Wizards really lack. Um, you know, I think overall that would be a good pick for them. So I'm hoping that he slides down to the Wizards uh, at number nine, but we will see. All right, that's going to wrap us up for our show today. Uh, thank you all for listening. Don't forget to follow us each on Twitter. Blake is at Blake Andrew Pace. I am at Matt Wyrick FBB. Uh, if you want to give us a follow over there, feel free. Uh, we are pretty irregular with these shows. Uh, we've definitely <laughs> had up and down schedules. We apologize yeah. for that. Um, but we get them to you when we get them to you, and I think they're good content. So uh, yeah. be grateful, Pete listeners out there. <laughs> some, some good stuff. Um, if you're listening this far, that means that you agree with us. So you have you can't there say you anything. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Blake, any final words for the good people? No, yeah, just hopefully at some point, you know, I feel like our schedules are so in flux right now that we're trying to get that more consistent uh, schedule. So hopefully we get to that eventually down the road. But also, if not, I, I like I, I agree, you know, the content's coming out when it comes out and it's good <laughs> stuff. We have good conversations. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one thing's for sure. The podcast isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So we'll still be mm-hmm. coming at you semi-regularly no matter what. Uh, and I think, Definitely. you know, when something like this trade happens, we both kind of get on our high horse and it's like, all right, let's get a, make sure we get a show in to this week exactly because uh, we got we got to talk about this all right mm-hmm. well that's going to do it for us thank you all again for listening and have a good one